Good morning, Restoration Covenant Church. Oh, thank you. Good morning. Thank you. Uh, what a very nice welcome. I'm so glad to uh, be here with you all this morning. And uh, my daughter and I, we drove up here. My little one, she's five. And so on the way up here, she was like, I'm so excited to go to kids' church. I'm going to meet all these nice and wonderful people. Then we got here. She was like, I'm not going to kids' church. I said, this, this could be problematic, little lady, um, because mommy has to preach. And she's like, well, I don't know what to tell you, mom. So um, <laughs> she went, fortunately, Julie escorted her. So, I mean, really, this morning has just been, you know, a, a ride already. And so anyway, so thanks again uh, for having me here with you all. Thank you uh, to Rob and the team for inviting me to come. And so Rob and I are fellow church planters and ministry colleagues. And so it's been great. I've known your pastor and his wife for a couple of years now, and it's been a joy to know them. I remember when they were first starting Restoration Covenant Church and how that was just a dream, and here it is a reality. And can I just say I love the name of you all's church. I do. I really love the name Restoration. Um, as a matter of fact, I don't know how many people have done Strength Finders before. A couple of people maybe. Well, anyway, you know, Strength Finders, Restoration is my number one gift. It's my number one gift. And so uh, there's just something about restoration that I find really precious. And it's something just about the work as I read you all's mission and uh, know your um, pastor. And just it's something precious about the work you all are doing and committing to uh, committing to restoring things and people back uh, to where uh, God wants them and what God wants to do with them. And so it's really a beautiful thing, uh, people gathering to be restored, to go out and restore. So that's that's really awesome. And quite frankly, I would have stolen the name of restoration, but <laughs> Rob got to it first. I'm not bitter about it. Um, <laughs> God gave us God gave us a good name at our church, Blue Oaks Covenant Church. Um, so uh, yeah, so we'll talk about that later, Rob. Anyway, so um, I came today to participate in this series. And just to give you a heads up, I'm going to talk about God. Yeah, I know everybody's relieved about that. Like, yeah, I hope so, Pastor Nicole. That's what you're here for. And so I just want to give you a little spoiler alert. Here's what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about God, and I'm going to talk about God as promise keeper. And then I'm going to talk about us, what we need to do to obtain those promises, right? Um, what's our part in this? God makes those promises, and then what's our role? What do we do? And um, actually, well, I think I'm just going to tell you now because I'm the kind of person that likes to skip to the end of a book um, and then kind of go backwards. And so I'll give you the spoiler alert. Here's what we need to do to obtain those promises. And that, that is we need to have unwavering faith. We need to have unwavering faith. And I don't know how many people are here this morning, but I'm assuming I have a couple of people in the room uh, who've had situations in their life that required unwavering faith, maybe one or two people. Nobody, this church is a very strong church then. <laughs> I mean, amazing. So anyway, I'm just going to go ahead and assume that you gave me a silent yes. And that's our, I'm all right with that. Um, and so the story that I want to look at today is uh, Caleb. And so if you have your Bibles or your gadgets, that's what I say at my church, your Bibles or your gadgets, I want you to turn to Joshua 14. And if you're able, um, I would like you to stand with me as we read uh, the scripture. Joshua chapter 14, <coughs> and I'm going to start at verse 6. I'm using the New Living Translation, 
uh, which is also, I think it'll be on the screen as well. Joshua chapter 14, starting at verse 6. It says, A delegation from the tribe of Judah, led by Caleb, son of Japuneth, the, the Kenizzite, came to Joshua at Gilgal. Caleb said to Joshua, Remember what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, about you and me when we were at Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land of Canaan. I returned and gave an honest report. But my brothers who went with me frightened the people from entering the promised land. For my part, I wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. So that day Moses solemnly promised me the land of Canaan on which you were just walking will be your grant of land and that of your, uh, of your descendants forever because you wholeheartedly follow the Lord. Two more verse, three more verses, verse 10. Now, as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well, as he has promised for all of these 45 years since Moses made this promise, even while Israel wandered in the wilderness. Today, I am 85 years old. I am as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey, and I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. He must have had some diet, didn't he? Last verse, verse 12. So give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. You will remember that as scouts, we found the descendants of Anak living, in, living there in great walled towns. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land just as the Lord said. Th thanks, uh, thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There we go. You may be seated. Thank you for standing and reading with me. And so, like I said, I'd kind of like to start at the end of a story and then kind of work my way up. So the text that we just read shows, and I pace a lot, so you'll probably see me come down. I don't know what your pastor does. And so just know I'm already doing it differently. I come up after the words are done. I'm, I'm you know, so I'm going to mix it up today. Um, I hope you all are right with that. So anyway, uh, the, the part of the story that I just read is kind of at the end of the story. So earlier, there's a story that happens in Numbers uh, chapters 13 and 14, where uh, Caleb and Joshua and uh, several other men were commissioned to go and scout out the land of Canaan. They were in the desert, and Canaan was the promised land. And so they were sent to scout out the land. They were kind of on this mission. And this mission actually ends up being a really defining moment um, for Caleb. And it ends up being a defining moment for Caleb because he, along with those 12 other spies, when they went, they saw the land, and they came back. And Joshua and uh, Caleb came back, and they had a positive report. They said, man, the land looks wonderful. It's flowing with milk and honey. Um, it's magnific magnificent. It has fruit so large that it requires two men to carry it. I'm like, this is like, it sounds like the whole foods of all whole foods there, right? It sounds wonderful. And so they came back and they were excited. But the other ten were not as excited. They actually came back and they gave a negative report. And uh, this negative report was so uh, troubling that it actually sent the entire nation of Israel into a panic. And they said uh, to everyone, they said, listen, the descendants that live there, they are too big for us. That was the uh, negative report. They said they're too big for us. The Anakites, the Amalekites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, it was a lot of ites in the land. And so they came back and they were nervous. And what ends up happening as they're given this negative report is people are panicking, if you can imagine, and people are panicking. Caleb stands up in the midst of all this and he says, you know what? We can do this. 
where everybody else saw giants, Caleb saw victory. He saw that God was with them and he was determined to obtain the promise. And so Caleb does this really moving speech about how, you know, they can make it, how they can do it, how the land is wonderful. And I'm assuming that he thinks to himself, this speech should move the crowd. It should make them relax more. It should make them trust God. I'm going to give them a big, they're going to give me a big hip, hip, hooray when I'm done. But when Caleb got done talking, it actually made the crowd more frantic. You know, they were more frantic. They were irate, as a matter of fact. They were so upset about uh, what had happened. I mean, people had started to unravel. They were looking, and they started complaining. They were looking around. They started complaining. Well, why did God even bring us out of Egypt if he was just going to bring us here? And as a matter of fact, not only did they complain, they actually started crying about wanting to go back. They said, I'd rather go back to Egypt. I'd rather go back to slavery, essentially, than to actually move forward in trying to possess this promised land. They had actually said to themselves, death would be better than this. Death would be better than this. Death would be better than the fate that lies ahead of us. I'd rather not go there. I'd rather not do this. I'd rather go back to slavery. I'd rather be under the hand of Pharaoh. I'd rather go back to being unhappy, right, as opposed to pursuing the promise of God. Now, you may hear that and you go, oh, man, that's really sad, It's terrible that they thought that way. But if we're all honest, we can relate, right? When we have those really hard moments in our lives and we just want to go back to the way things used to be, even though those things weren't necessarily good things, we just kind of are comfortable where that is. I'm originally from Chicago, and so sometimes I've been here now for 10 years, and I still call myself new to Minnesota. Don't ask me why. I guess I'm forever a Chicagoan. But sometimes when things get really hard here, at least very early on in our marriage and when my, when my husband and I first moved here, I'd always complain and go, I want to go back to Chicago. I want to go back home. Not that there was something better there per se, but it was just what I knew. So even as I read this text and I hear how the Israelites are complaining and wanting to go back, really what I'm understanding is they just want to go back to what they know. Sometimes we are so afraid of the future. We're so afraid of the future. We're afraid that we're not going to make the cut. We're afraid that we're just not going to succeed. And in fear of that future, we actually begin to regress because we're afraid to move forward. That's kind of the funny thing about life. If we're not moving ahead, we're actually moving backwards. If we're not kind of stepping forward, we're actually regressing. And so the children of Israel said, you know, this is too complicated. I'm too afraid. I don't want to move forward. But I'm convinced just with the Israelites, as it is with any of us, when we get afraid and want to go backwards, when we fear that future is because we fear it in light of the fact that perhaps God won't be with us. We don't imagine our future with Jesus there holding us, guiding us, being with us, speaking to us, talking to us, comforting us. Many times when we imagine that future, we imagine it in the absence of God's presence. And so therefore we get afraid. And here they were. They were afraid. And for them, their fear turned into outright anger. They were ready to stone uh, people, they were like, we're, not only are we ready to go back, we're going to start stoning folks. It, it was a mess. It was a mess. And in the midst of all of that chaos, God makes an announcement to the people. He says, listen, 
you won't enter into my promised land. But instead, because of your sinfulness and your refusal to move ahead, you'll wander the desert for 40 years, a year for each day of the exploration. And that was, that's an intense, you know, a consequence to have, but that's what God did. But this, this entry mandate, this non-entry mandate was applicable for everybody, but it excluded Caleb and even Joshua, but um, it wasn't applicable to Caleb. And I want to read Numbers chapter 14, and I'm going to read verses 23 and 24. It says, they will never even see the land I swore to give their ancestors. None of them who have treated me with contempt will ever see it. But my servant Caleb has a different attitude than the others. He has remained loyal to me, so I will bring him into the land he explored. His descendants will possess their full share of that land. God had already said, hey, Caleb, this is what's happening, but here's what I have for you. Here's the promise that I have for you. And I, as I read this text, one of the questions that came up for me is, how did Caleb get to the place where he could receive God's promise? How did he have such faith and trust? How did he get to that place where God speaks these words that he speaks in Numbers chapter 14, verses, 20, verses 23 and 24? And I believe Caleb got to that place for a couple of reasons. And the first reason is this, is that he just believed God. He just believed God. And I know that seems like, oh, that seems simple enough. But in the world that we live in today, with so much pressure to conform uh, to thinking in ways that are not of God, Caleb was actually doing something actually really revolutionary. It makes me think of the text in Romans 12 and 2, and you can look it up later, right? Uh, but many of you are probably familiar with it already. Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? Here's this idea that Caleb enters into this situation, this situation that is really actually very intense and ends up being a really discouraging one, that this initial scouting that happened is supposed to be a celebration of how they're moving forward in God's promises, ends up being completely deterred, not by the obstacles that were present in Canaan, but by the obstacles that were present among his own community. Isn't that funny how obstacles can happen among our own community that can deter what God is doing? And such was the case with Caleb, that obstacles had happened, not with God saying you can't move forward, not with what was ahead, but the community had kind of stammered that growth. And here Caleb was, and he was in the midst of that, and he had known what God had promised and what God had said. He had actually seen Canaan. He had went there. He had held the fruit. He had walked around. He saw the beauty of the promise, yet God said, you too have to wait. And I believe Caleb was able to do that because he just refused to conform. He refused to conform. He refused to conform and said, I'd rather believe God. I'd rather be driven by God's promise than driven by fear. I'd rather be driven by faith than driven by what maybe could not happen. Caleb had a different mindset than everyone else in that moment. And I kind of imagine him having the disposition as the psalmist, right? The same as the psalmist where uh, he says, I would have despaired unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. When Caleb look ar looked around, he saw what was good. 
When he looked around, he saw what was good. Caleb believed that God was faithful and powerful enough to fulfill his promises. So when he looked, he looked for the promises. When he looked around, he looked at the goodness. Here's a little lesson that we can glean from Caleb's story. And that's this. When it comes to the things that God has promised us, we will only find what we're looking for. We'll only find what we're looking for. That if we're focused on the problems, if we're focused on the obstacles, if we're focused on what's not right, we end up finding ourselves in despair and in defeat before we can even move forward. But if we focus on God, being adamant to stay in his presence, being resolved that we are going to hear the voice of God, being resolved that we are going to move forward in his promises, we too can experience what it's like to be on the receiving end of God's promises. And that was Caleb's disposition. He looked around and he said, here's what's good. Here's what's good. And that's what we have to do in our situations and circumstances sometimes, right? We have to look around and just say, what's good? Now, I know there are a couple of married folks here, right? Wave your hands in the air if you're married. Just a little, okay, you gave me a lot. All right. So you know how it is when you marry every now and again. And this, you know, this is not your spouse. Just look at me so your spouse don't, don't think anything. You know, your spouse can kind of, you know, maybe just a little bit, you know, kind of get on your nerves just a little bit. Not a lot. Not a lot. Just, just a little bit. Look at me. Don't look at your spouse. I don't, want, I don't want you to get in trouble after church. Right? And so sometimes we, we kind of get caught up and you're like, oh, man. If you leave one more dish behind, that, that's my testimony. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, talk about my husband because he's not here to defend himself. But um, we do have a dish problem in our house, okay? We'll just say that. And sometimes, you know, I can get so frustrated and I start thinking about everything that's wrong, which makes me even more frustrated. And then I have to take a step back and I have to say, no, look for the good. Look for the good. Look at what he is doing. And, you know, sometimes we even, that's why I ask the married folks, maybe you can help me out, give me an amen here. Every now and again, you just have to remember why you married them. You, you see what I'm saying? Yes, yes. You know, you have to remember the good things, right? You have to remember that one time you had that wonderful date. You have to remember that one time he woke up early and he actually did put his clothes in the laundry basket. Any wives have that testimony? Okay, I'm not the only one who's still praying and holding on for that. Um, uh, but do you know what I mean? Like we, we still, we have to look around. We have to do this work of looking for the good because when we're determined to look for good, we will find God. When we're determined to look for good, we will find God. And that was Caleb's disposition when he went to Canaan. He was determined determined to see the good. And because he was determined to see the good, he found God. So we enter into the story of Joshua 14, which we read um, first off where we all stood up together. And we enter that story and we see that Caleb is the same non-conforming, unwavering faith having wholeheartedly following, believing that he would see the goodness of God while he was still living for some 40 plus years. I mean, he, this started when Caleb was 40, when he was 40, the Bible says in Joshua 14, that he was 85 by the time that this was actually happening. And I, I like his, I like his attitude. He's like, Oh, I'm still ready to go. It's like, I feel like I'm 40. 
You know, that's, that's what he's saying. He's like, I can still do this, right? And I know uh, some of us may consider age as we're thinking about what God has called us to do and feel like, I don't know, maybe that season has passed in my life. Let's just look at somebody like Caleb. It started, the call to the promise started when he was 40. And he actually didn't go to obtain it until he was 85. Now, some of you all here then go, oh, man, that's really messed up. Am I going to have to wait till I'm 85? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just trying to give you, like, God doesn't have, don't put restrictions on God. Don't put restrictions on time. Don't put restrictions on your age or your season in life. Know that God is still able to use that, just like he did with Caleb. And Caleb, for some 40-plus years, still comes back around full circle, having the same amount of energy, the same amount of motivation, the same amount of just, uh, uh, just resolve that he is going to obtain the promises of God. I mean, whew, that's, that's some faith right there. That's some faith right there. And I go and I look at that kind of faith, and I, I know that that kind of faith is not easily obtained, Right? Because sometimes faith like that requires that we stand alone. Faith like that sometimes requires that we stand still. Caleb had to stand still, if you will, for 40 plus years. And let me tell you, one of the things that I, I find particularly difficult about trusting God is standing still. Remember I told you that my number one strength was restoration, right? So as uh, people who... Uh, like to restore things, you, you know, you're eager to fix things. You see a problem, you know, you're already into how to repair it mode. That's, that's how I work. And so by nature, I'm not a very patient person. I'm not a very patient person. I see something is out of whack. I see something is broken. I'm ready to go, and I'm ready to fix it. I'm ready to make it happen. I'm the fix-it girl, you know. I'm the fix-it woman. I'm ready to get, you know, my tools and my resources out, and I'm ready to make it happen, you know. I don't know if there's anybody else like that, but that's me. I'm ready, and I'm, I'm engaged, and I'm ready to make it happen. But here's the thing. That doesn't always work. That doesn't always work. Why? Because there are just some situations that God invites us to be still because he is the only one who can fix it. Because he is the only one who can fix it. Um, one of the things I say probably daily in my house, and it, it usually involves my children. I have two children. They're five and two. So they're at those lovely little toddler phases where they don't like to listen and, you know, Help me, Jesus. Y'all just say a prayer for me <laughs> later. But anyway, there are times where I'm trying to get them to do something, whether they put on their pajamas, get in bed, brush their teeth. I mean, you name it, any sort of situation. And they just will, I'm checked out, Mom. I'm not listening to you. And I'm I feel myself getting frustrated, and I'm ready to start fussing or yelling or just something. And in that moment, I have to stop, and I just go, fix it, Jesus. My kids go, Mommy, ready to fix it, Jesus. I'm like, no, fix it, Jesus, because me trying to fix this is not working. I literally have to pause in that moment and just say, fix it, Jesus. Like, I feel like I need a T-shirt, a banner, a button, a bumper sticker, all kinds of stuff that just says, fix it, Jesus. Because there are moments where I have to remind myself, I can't fix this. Now, that's kind of a funny thing with a five and a two-year-old, and I'm talking about children. But then there are real situations in our life that we're tempted to take over, that we're tempted to fix, that we're tempted to mold and shape into an outcome that we desire. And we just have to stop in that moment and simply say, fix it, Jesus. Fix it. You fix it. 
Psalms 46 to 10, this is the amplified version. You can look it up when you get home. But it says, let be and be still. Let be and be still. There are some times that we just have to let it be and be still. And the verse continues in the amplified version. It says, and know, recognize, and understand that I am God. And you know what comes after those words, I am God? You know what punctuation comes? A period. It says, rest, be still, and know that I am God, period. Period. <clears throat> there are times where we just have to look around. We don't have to get it. We don't have to understand it. We don't have to try to fix it. We just have to know that God is God, period. And he says, I will be exalted. I will be exalted. As a matter of fact, he says, I will be exalted in the nations, and I will be exalted in the earth. And then when I have my little situations at home, I say, God, I know that if you could be exalted in the nations, I know that if you could be exalted in the earth, I know you can be exalted in my kitchen right now, right? I know you can be exalted in my office right now. But it's, it's a matter of stepping back and being still, looking for the good so we can see God. And we have to just say, Jesus, I know you're able. You fix it. Help me to take my hands off. And I know many of you are probably familiar with that scripture, Hebrews 11 and 6, right? For without faith, it's impossible to please God. But anyone who comes to God must believe that he really exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him out. Listen, while we're in a place of standing still, those times where God calls us to stand still, when we're in those places of standing still and we're waiting, and we're in that waiting period, what I like to call a holding pattern. I, if you've ever flown before, sometimes they can't land because either the runway is too full or they haven't been cleared for landing, so they have to circle the airport. And they call that a holding pattern. And sometimes our life looks like that, where we're kind of in this holding pattern, right? And we feel like, oh, my goodness, this, I'm wasting time. I have places to go. I have things to do. Let me tell you, sometimes God imposes on us what I would call a waiting pattern. And if we're not careful, we will think that waiting pattern is actually wasting our time. But trust me when I say that those who wait on the Lord will not be ashamed, right? When God has us waiting, it is because he is helping us to understand something. It is because he is bringing us into his goodness and his truth. It is our opportunity to engage him, to love him, to be with him, to move forward, not in our own power and strength, but in God's power and strength. That sometimes those holding patterns are not wasted time. Well, all the time, if God has put and it's not wasted time. It's growing time. It's growing time. And here Caleb was, 40 plus years of growing time, so much so that by the time we enter into Joshua 14, he says to himself, he says, listen, I'm ready, Joshua. I'm ready. Send me to go get my land. As a matter of fact, he goes, um, uh, uh, verse 12 in Joshua 14 Verse 12, he says, so give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. He goes, I'm ready. I feel like it's almost like this moment where he is like, unleash me on the giants. Unleash me on the giants. Forty-some years ago, everybody else was afraid of the giants, worried about what the giants could do to us. Today, I'm standing here in more faith, even more resolved, even more convinced that the giants ought to be afraid of me. Right? 
The giants ought to be afraid of me because the Lord, my God, is with me. If we could take on that disposition in life, if we could take that place in life where we say, you know what, I don't have to be afraid of the giants, but the giants have to be afraid of me because the Lord, my God, is with me. Listen, I said earlier, and I know i got to wrap up here, um, but I said earlier, I'm sure all of us have a situation that requires unwavering faith. I'm sure all of us have a situation where we're waiting and wanting for God to fulfill something in our lives. And we're just going to have to have that Caleb type of mindset to make it happen. That we have to just say, I'm going to hold on tight until God shows up that I'm going to believe in the character and the person of God, God as he is described in scripture, and trust that he is going to show up. That we could almost be like Job in a sense, right? Job was going through all of what he had gone through. And Job kind of had this, was in this place where he finally arrived and he said, you know what? I'm still going to honor God. And I want us to be able to do that, that as we look over our lives, no matter what terrible things are happening or disorienting things are happening, that we can still say, God, blessed be your name. Blessed be your name in plentiful. Blessed be your name in famine. Blessed be your name in the high places. Blessed be your name in the low places. Blessed be your name when I'm sick. Blessed be your name when I am well. Blessed be your name when I am employed. Blessed be your name when I am unemployed. Blessed be your name when my children are living right and doing everything they're supposed to do. But even more, blessed be your name when they're not. Because you give and you take away. But my heart will still choose to say, blessed be your name. Blessed be your name in the good times and the bad times because you are God. You know, I'll say this and I'm closing. The team can actually come up, the band. Um, I say this in closing. I grew up in a crazy sort of family situation. I'm sure many people here also have. I had, I grew up in a family situation where I had an abusive and alcoholic father. Um, uh, I was brought up in really a lot of poverty. We didn't have a lot. There were times we went without lights and gas. Like it was crazy. Um, I struggled academically. I had challenges with school. I never saw myself going beyond high school, I had this poor self-image where I never envisioned myself really amounting to anything. I mean, life had just kind of beaten me up, right? And we all have those things in life that kind of beat us up, that want to break us and tell us you can't move into the future because we fear we won't make it. We fear that it won't be as hopeful or as bright as we hope it can be. But to all of that, I tell that story to just say, but God, 
God came in and he saved the day. He made a way. I gave my life to Jesus early on. But since that point, no, things didn't get easier in that moment just because I gave my life to Jesus. But in that moment that I gave my life to Jesus, I had made a commitment. And I, had, I was determined and I'm still determined to this day to just trust him over and over and over and over again. Even when things get difficult, even when I don't understand things, I think about the story of Caleb and I think about those 45 years that he waited. I'm sure he just had to trust God over and over and over and over again. The key to unwavering faith <laughs> is not something magical. It is actually being intentional to decide and choose that I am going to trust God over and over and over again. And here's my challenge to you all this morning. If there's a situation in your life or um, something that you desire to see God's promises fulfilled in and you need unwavering faith, I want you to just follow these simple steps. I want you to pray first and just kind of give it to God, kind of let it go and say, God, I need to release this. The second thing I want you to do is repent. If you have been in a place where, you know, I have not been believing the way I should be. I've kind of been conforming and kind of folding to pressure. Repent. The Bible says when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and then cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? And then the third thing is this. Make a fresh commitment to trust God. And then when you make that commitment to trust God, just say to yourself, God, I'm going to trust you over and over and over and over again because you are the promise keeper will you pray with me god i thank you so much for this time together at restoration covenant church this morning god i just believe that this is a timely message god for this community <laughs> that there that there are those here today who have been wondering, <laughs> how do I move forward? How do I proceed forward? Perhaps uh, they as a community, God, are wondering, what do we need to do? How do we move forward? How do we not regress? How do we make progress? So, God, I thank you for this word, this timely word about how we can have unwavering faith, God, in order to receive every promise that you have given us. So, God, I pray your blessing and your strength over this community. I ask, God, that you would give them great blessing. I pray, God, for the individuals, God, who have that deep longing or wanting, God, in their soul, that there is some sort of circumstance or incident, God, that really needs your touch, that really needs your hand, and they are struggling to sit still. They want to intervene so bad. They want to rescue that son. They want to rescue that daughter. They want to rescue that spouse or that coworker. They want to fix it. God, I pray that you would give them peace in this moment, the peace that surpasses human understanding. And so, Lord, we thank you, God, for the ways that you intervene in our lives, God, to give us words, God, of encouragement and hope. And I pray, God, that this word, God, would take root in the listeners, God, today, that they would have hope as never before, that they would be committed to trust you over and over and over again. In your son's name we pray and we all say together, amen.